For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're going to talk a bit about the entertainment business with Alexandre Amancio of Reflector Entertainment. And later in the program, a really interesting HR issue from Michelin Mayette, our specialist at FL. Here's an idea unlimited vacation for your employees. Think about that. How, I don't know how many shivers are going down some employers' spines right now, but uh, an interesting topic and amazing what you think uh, employees would or would not do under the right circumstances. Uh, it, I've been in business for almost uh, nine years now, and we've never had a vacation policy, and I'll tell you how that went later in the show. Excellent. We won't ask you when the last time you took a vacation. Was then, <laughs> a couple weeks a year, maybe at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired. Uh, coming up first, let's uh, get to some entrepreneurial news and notes. Um, first, everyone's talking about uh, the big fire, of course, the Notre Dame Cathedral in uh, in Paris today. Just a tragic, tragic scene, Josh. Devastating. Um, but one, I think, that maybe brings up um, an occasion to talk, talk a little bit about um, things you can't plan for in business and if you have a building and, and insurance. Believe it or not, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that don't insure their businesses. It, it's amazing. Amazing, Dan. You know, I was I was watching, you know, Notre Dame de Paris burn today. Uh, absolutely devastating. And you kind of you think because you're you, we we talk and we deal with entrepreneurs day in day out. And I've you know had unfortunately in the last uh, year or two dealt with a few fires that occurred in some clients. Uh, and uh, no, I'm I'm not the common denominator there. Uh, but but the bottom line is it came down to insurance. Now, thankfully, they were all insured. But the different experiences they each had with their respective insurance companies and insurance brokers were quite varied. When you're looking, first of all, you know, insurance is, is tough. When, you, when you're bootstrapping and you're trying to save a few bucks, it's tough to say, I need insurance. But if you don't have insurance, at least the basic, and something goes wrong, you're really screwed. So always look out and try and get some type of insurance, liability, commercial, whatever it might be, especially if you're in a building, whether it's your own or somebody else's. Hugely important, but I'll add that when you're when you're looking at insurance, yes, you want to have the right coverage. Yes, you want to make sure whether it's replacement cost or it's selling. But one of the one of the aspects that I'm not so sure each entrepreneur goes through is when they're interviewing their potential insurance broker. Do they have what experience do they have in helping you secure a claim? And I find that's where the insurance brokers really stand out one from another. And I've worked with a number of them over the years, and some are are absolutely phenomenal at dealing with adjusters of insurance companies because what's an adjuster's job? An adjuster's job is, well, they'll say it's to make a fair payment to the client, but they really follow the letter of the of the insurance policy, and not always do they want to pay out, I'm going to say. Not want to, but do they, they're told and have to follow the rules. So... If you have a great insurance broker that has the ability and knowledge of A, the policy, B, how, you know, certainly some adjusters, because everybody has their own style, different insurance companies, that is a huge benefit. I'd even say pay a touch more if you need to to that broker to get that right person to claims. Because when you fall upon somebody that has no experience with claims, you're, you're, you've basically lost. Let's uh, go to some uh, other news now. This is from Inc.com. Four things I've learned from running a startup uh, for 10 years 
And I'm curious about why why the author is still referring to it as a startup after 10 years, but we'll leave that aside. <laughs> uh, so some lessons there, Josh. The first is uh, core values. Yeah, and uh, and it's really be be clear in your core values. And we, we've heard this from many entrepreneurs uh, over the years. And we're you know we heard it from California Closets recently. We're going to hear it from uh, Appoint International in a couple of weeks. Really staying true to your values, your core values, because that's what drives their product and service. And when things go bad, when you hit a recession and you need to kind of veer away from it, are you really being the best that you can be? We heard from California Closets that, no, she actually didn't drop her uh, her prices and change her product. She stayed true, and that's what was great. But you, you definitely, if people come to you for a specific reason uh, and certain values and you start changing them, then you're going to confuse your customer as well. So be clear and stay true to it. Number two, become an expert and persevere. If you can't, uh, if you can't define what you're doing in front of a potential customer, supplier, investor, if you can't describe what you're doing, you don't know your product or service cold. Well, it's going to be really hard to sell uh, to again whether it's whether you're trying to find financing or whether you're looking for your next best customers. Really become an expert in what you do, and if you're not that expert, well, then make sure you're sitting next to one that's working with you. Number three, be patient and acknowledge that the market has to be ready for your vision. This is a tough one because some product, you know, am I am I creating a product that people need and but don't know they need yet? Or do we see a need and there's a void in the market? Do you want to be first to market? Um, you always want to be first to market. You want to be first to market and start educating to the nth degree, or you want to be first to market and understand and with people, your potential customer understanding, yeah, there is a pain. That's an easier sell. So it, it's a fine line to, to figure out which is what under, like, you know, you look at, uh, artificial intelligence, people love it. They know they need it, but do they understand it? Do they understand how it applies to them individually consumers on a, on a day-to-day basis? Great aspect, great, great ambition, great vision. How are you going to sell it? And number four, don't be isolated and remember your social responsibility. You can't do anything alone. That's uh, that's for sure. So don't be isolated. Put a, definitely a team around you is huge. Uh, certainly, if you don't have that that expert side of you, you're gonna you're gonna need the experts around you. And social responsibility. That just seems to be coming up each and every day more and more. If you're if you're there and you're you're not socially responsible, you're not giving back to the community, you're 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 stealing resources from other people, that's gonna come out and people might lose the reason why to buy from you. Uh, Jeff Bezos has revealed the one biggest threat uh, that he perceives uh, will be coming Amazon's way. What is it? And that you know, we we've heard and we we've read stories about uh, people you know, uh, sorry, big companies becoming too big. Uh, that's 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 something that we also realize between the Googles of the world, between the Amazons of the world. Uh, Amazon does control forty five percent or a large percentage of of all e commerce, um, but they don't control the that that percentage of all commerce. So there there is really you know, are they getting too big? Are they going to uh, Bust, be busted apart at some point. That's something that uh, that may happen. It hasn't happened in a very long time it in hasn't North America, in a very long by time. the way. And and I'm convinced. I mean, when you have monopolies like Google, uh, I think we're going to be having that conversation in, in future years. But, we so. will. I mean, I, but at some point, these companies will be broken up. 
you know, whether it's driven by government, whether it's driven by rebellion of consumers or the or the small guy, which is much harder to do. Certainly, government has more power. It, it is a possibility. Meanwhile, Amazon has been a pretty big threat to some retailers, but others are weathering the storm just fine. Um, Kohl's, Costco, Best Buy. What's their secret? Well, there, there. I, I think there's there's a couple of them. Certainly in the in the Best Buy and Costco, they're really focusing on people as least as much, if not more, than their products. It's really about the consumer. It's really about the consumer experience. You walk into the store, your your people will will deal with you and talk to you and explain it to you. Versus on Amazon, of course, you're relying on online reviews. You're not really speaking with anybody. So the Coles of the world, the Costco's of the world, the little mom and pop shop on the corner of the world, that's how they're differentiating yourselves. Because on price alone, it's really hard to do, certainly against Amazon and the big boys like that. So if you can create a more personable experience and attract people and say, you know, I, I, I understand you and here's what I think and this is what I can explain – Great. I, I went shopping for luggage and, you know, you, you could buy luggage online easily, but you walk into a store, you know, I walked into a small store in St. Lawrence Boulevard and I got somebody to explain what the, what the real differences are between the 20 different styles and types of luggage out there. That's valuable. And here in downtown Montreal, I was just there the other day and I, I was seeing all these stores that are becoming, first of all, it's becoming more high end, you know, and you have those experiential stores like the Canada Goose with their freezer or the Club Monaco with their coffee shop in the basement. You know, that, those kinds of things I think are becoming the norm in Montreal too. They need, uh, all retailers need to find a reason to attract the customer to walk into the store and slowly but surely the, this is happening. Okay. Today's entrepreneur, let's get it started with our profile for the evening, Alexandre Amancio of Reflector Entertainment. And later on the show, we're talking about the concept of unlimited vacation for employees that is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome back. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, let's welcome our guest for tonight, Alexandre Amancio of Reflector. Welcome, Alexandre. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, uh, Josh. Let's get right started with uh, the easiest question of the night. And and this this might take a little bit of explaining because not everybody understands this world. But what is Reflector? So Reflector is a transmedia company. So we're gonna get to, we're gonna get your mic on there, Alexandre. Yep. Uh, should happen any second now. How about now, Alexandre? Is it working? Hello? There we go. There okay. Go. All right. <laughs> anyway, what was Reflector? So Reflector... Uh, <laughs> it's all about handling technical difficulties. Exactly. <laughs> that was it. Drama. <laughs> a long pause. Um, no, so Reflector is about... It's a, it's a transmedia studio, which means that we tell stories across multiple platforms. But the reason it's called transmedia isn't because it's cross-media. It's because it transcends the medium, which means that we don't take a novel story and then turn it into a, a film or a film in, into a game. Uh, the stories that happen on each medium are uh, unique to that medium, and they're adapted to that medium, because a movie story doesn't necessarily make a good novel story. And then, uh, so every one of them is self-contained, so if you watch the film, you'll understand what's going on. You don't need to consume all the other uh, mediums. But if you do do that, there's a meta story that's happening, an overarching story, something larger, and it's all about this central universe that is sort of organic and growing. Now you're you're still building this story. You're still building 
the or the little stories within mm-hmm. the big story. When, when did you start this? So we started um, uh, in. Uh, 2017, we announced at C2 Montreal, and uh, we started building uh, uh, many different universes. Uh, the first one that we've announced, called Unknown Nine, um, it, you know, we built the the sort of the background mythology. We have this 150-page Bible that we've we've created with all these rules and 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 myths and characters and a timeline. And now, as you said, what we're doing is that we're we're we've col- we're collaborating with all these different creatives from all these different industries, and we're now telling these. Uh, individual stories that happen in the individual mediums. Now, what is your background? I mean, you're not an auto mechanic. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what did you do before you before you you did this? I used to be a doctor. No, no I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you gave it up for Lent. Exactly. Uh, no, I I worked at uh, in the video in the gaming industry, and um, uh, I worked on uh, two notable franchises. Uh, one was Far Cry, and then I worked on Assassin's Creed. My question from a content perspective, this is very interesting to me because usually you have the the graphic novel and then maybe 10 years later you'll have the movie, etc. Mm-hmm. But you're conceiving all this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Are you finding your audiences are following you to each medium or are they distinct audiences? So we haven't launched yet. So um, I mean, we, we've done a, a, an announcement and, we, and we've sort of tested the ground for that. So I can tell you positively that yes, they do. Uh, but the theory is this, is that the, the world is changing um, very much in the past 10 years, exponentially so. And because of the way that, you know, in the past, each medium used to be a silo and, you know, it, it, people wouldn't necessarily jump from one to the other because it was limited. Uh, today, there's sort of this democratization of, of, uh, of media and you can grab a laptop or, or, or an iPad and you can start streaming something uh, on YouTube and then go to an ebook and go to a video game. So because of the way technology has changed the way people consume media, uh, people are already consuming media this way. Uh, you know, I watch, I have a seven year old. She, she's watching she, stuff on her iPad. She doesn't even maximize the window because she's like, she likes to see the comments. She likes to see what's coming up and she jumps from one to the other. Um, and so Reflector is, I think, a company that is built on this new reality. And unlike most major entertainment companies who are still viewing themselves first and foremost as they're identifying themselves with the medium that sort of spawned them, Reflector is not. Reflector is identifying itself with the mythology that it's creating. And media for us is just a means to an end. It's just one of the channels in which we can tell uh, these um, large complex, rich, evolving stories and worlds. Now you, you, you were at Ubisoft before this, you're working on these, these monster, very successful games. Mm -hmm. Why do you go from one to the other? What did, what did you see or what Mm -hmm. were you, what were you missing or what was the, the vision that you had Mm -hmm. in moving away from one rather successful company, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly recognizable very well in Montreal into this leap of faith on your own? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. I mean, um, there's, I think I can answer that question twofold. Uh, first of all, I think I've always been entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, as I was getting myself through, uh, through CJEP, uh, myself and two of my friends, we bought a comic book store, right? We had our savings and we, we, uh, they, you know, we, we liked comics and sports cards and we essentially said, Hey, they're going to be selling it. So why don't we just buy it? This was our store, right? And that's how we put ourselves through school. Uh, so that desire to be, you know, my own boss is part of it. And then second of all, um, it's, I had started, um, 
experiencing and, and playing around with this idea of transmedia at Ubisoft. You know, Assassin's Creed wasn't necessarily just a video game franchise anymore. We had comic books, we had novels, we were exploring uh, other means of non-conventional narratives uh, across the web and every and everything. But I felt that, um, you know, as a creative director in a video game company, I was still limited, uh, even though we were starting to touch upon what I'm mentioning now, it was still through the lens of a video game creator or, or the video game industry. So I, I felt that we were at a strategic point in time where, where this new form of storytelling could become something that, that, that was going to be big, right? So I decided to just take a leap of faith. And this is not a, a pun from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took a leap of faith and I decided to found Reflector. Uh, we're talking with Alexandre Amancio, uh, Amancio of Reflector. Is it require a lot of education? Do people understand the transmedia? Is it is it mm -hmm. just because uh, because it's not just within your world? It's mm -hmm. it's beyond your world. It's not necessarily something that you know you went to creator or I guess bring this to life. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has yet. So mm -hmm. is there a lot of education that is required for people? So it depends. Uh, people that are from more traditional media. Um, they typically tend to need maybe a little bit more explaining because they, they've been trained to see uh, the world through the lens of, you know, their medium. But if you talk to younger people, to the younger generation, this is something that is completely logical to them. It just, it, it's just a natural evolution. And I, again, I would argue that they already consume content in this way. So, you know, the, the, the younger the generation, I think the easiest, uh, the easier it is to, uh, to sort of understand or grasp the concept of transmedia. But I think that you don't really need to understand it. Um, because, by just experiencing it, it makes sense, right? If if you just are a film fan and watch the film, you'll be satisfied. You, you're not going to feel like you're missing anything. But then if you just happen to read the novel, you realize that, oh man, this character here that I met that I really thought was really interesting. Now I get this whole new perspective and this backstory about this character. And it's a story that isn't necessarily a sequel or a prequel, but it's connected to it. And if you read the comic book, you get another piece of the puzzle. So it becomes fun. And it also, I mean, if, if you know, we're buddies and you've played the game and seen the film and read the book and I read the comic and listened to the podcasts, we have two different perspectives or takes on this universe. So it'll generate natural conversation and I'll have a theory, but you'll have a theory. And, and again, that is completely aligned with the way that people like to interconnect and, and to chat on, uh, on the web, on different forums. And uh, I'm sure it takes a big team to help make this happen. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, human resources and a few other things that are make Re Reflector quite interesting. More with Alexandre Amancio of Reflector coming up. And we're going to discuss the question of unlimited vacation for employees. That's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk about uh, the concept of unlimited vacation for employees. HR specialist Michelle Mayet will be along. But first, we're continuing our chat with Alexandre Amancio of Reflector. And uh, Josh, we're talking about the media business and how it's changing. And there's a lot more opportunity, I think, for, for some smaller guys to do different things outside of the big conglomerate context. And Alexandre, Alexandre understands this really well. What, what, what do you see as a shift in, in the industry you're in? Well, I mean, 
certainly in the video game industry, there has been a, a recent shift in Montreal. I mean, stuff like the uh, the CMF has certainly opened the door for smaller companies to sort of be funded and financed to, to, to you know give their ideas a go. But I mean, really across the board, um, even right down to if we go all the way to the West Coast and to Hollywood, um, you know, new players like Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, Hulu, they've sort of changed the lay of the land and. Um, right now, everything is sort of in flux. Uh, even, I mean, uh, I can go back to the video game companies again and, and like, uh, new, new services like, uh, what Google is doing or what, uh, what, what Microsoft is doing. Uh, they're, they're changing the way that people will be able to connect and play games from anywhere, from any device. Um, so what happens when, whenever you have a, a big shift in any system, right? Uh, it's, it's, um, it can create problems for those who are the established status quo, but it also creates a crack for uh, disruptors to come in and to sort of like seize these new new opportunities and shift the market. And this is always when, you know, the small guys come in and, you know, take over. I mean, would you call yourself a disruptor? I think that, yeah, I think that Reflector is definitely a disruptor. And, you know, remember, like a few years ago, um, Netflix tried to be bought by Blockbuster for I think it was like something like two million dollars. They didn't want to do it because they felt that there was nothing, you know, it was never going to get it anywhere. Uh, you know, two years later, you know, Blockbuster is bankrupt and Netflix is what it is, mm -hmm. you know, today. So, I mean, that's just one example. But, but you know, and I don't know if Reflector is going to get there. I certainly have that ambition. Like, I would love for Reflector to grow. But they're, 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 the, the market is open for, for many disruptors to attempt that. Now, definitely part of this industry and part of, of Reflector and, and the competition or whatever, there is this... Uh, intellectual property that mm -hmm. you're building mm -hmm. how do you protect it well i mean there's laws that protect uh ip and uh you know once you've released something uh it, it's 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 protected you know there's there's many mechanisms you can always copy but um you know there are established rules and each industry has uh, its own set of rules and there's broader broader rules just for for ip itself but you know when you're you are vulnerable before it's been announced before it's been released um you know it, we just try to keep everything under wraps you know we we um you know coming from the gaming industry it's something that we're used to you don't talk about what you're working on and we have security measures and we watermark stuff so it, you know we do the best we can to protect the this uh burgeoning little idea that we have do you do you split the the information or the stories between different teams or different people so that they don't kind of talk with one another <laughs> i mean um because of the nature of how everything is created, we, we do have a central team that sort of is aware of everything that's happening. But most uh, creatives are solely working on, on, on their part of it, right? And they, they do have, they do understand what's going on with the others so that it can fit into that, that um, you know, overarching story that I was talking about. But uh, yeah, we limit the amount of information that we we show them. We, we might show them a lot in person, but we might not send stuff to them in writing. Uh, not because we don't trust people; it's just because as soon as you have data leaving your your hands, mm -hmm. you know you don't know what happens. A briefcase gets lost in an airport, or a USB key gets lost. You know you, you can never you know guarantee. So we 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 want to protect ourselves as much as we want to protect our collaborators from exposing themselves to something like that. Excellent. Now it does require a whole team to do this. So let's kind of switch gears to the human resource side. Mm. How many people are you today? Uh, I think we're like 106. So you're a little over a hundred people. Mm -hmm. It's been a, just over a couple of years or mm -hmm. about a couple of years. It's quite a growth. How mm -hmm. did you, how did you manage that growth? 
I mean, I think that is certainly one of the biggest challenges that a company faces. I mean, any company, uh, whether it's growth or just uh, um, maintaining people, right? It, they, the, you know, we don't build nuts and bolts. We build ideas. So the people are directly responsible for the product that we get, right? So um, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is you have a, if you have a company culture you, or if you don't, the first thing you need to do is really build a strong one. And then... Do you have one? Do you have a strong company culture? Yeah, I think we do. And and uh, and company culture is something that's very fragile. Uh, it's something that, that, um, that uh, is ephemeral that you need to consciously be trying to preserve and grow or else it gets lost. And as you get people, it's not only getting the right people that can do the job, but it's also people that fit into that company culture. And, you know, I think that there's, there's only three real levers, uh, you know, mechanical levers that a company can use to, to, to promote and to enforce uh, culture. It's, you know, who you choose to hire, who you choose to fire and who you choose to promote. Uh, you know, you can write words on a wall, uh, but really those are the, the, the basis mechanics that, that, that you have to do that. When you're, you're, you're a relatively new company, mm. what do you do from the, from the get go? What, what are the first steps that you did to create that culture from mm. the top? So we first needed to manifest it. So what is, what is it, right? We felt it. It's something that you feel a culture is, is usually something that people will feel at a gut level, but how do you put that into words and how do you distill it? And how do you make something that is unique to you that is not just that, well, we're creative and we like to take risks and we, you know, the stuff that everybody will put down on the paper, how, what makes you unique? So mm-hmm. we did a, um, an offsite with, uh, the, the heads of reflector, uh, where we, we talked about, you know, what was important for us. We came back with, uh, an idea. Uh, and then we presented it to the, the, the team, the people, the various teams, and we wanted to have their input. Do they agree with this? Uh, is there something that they would do different or, or say differently? And once and, we, and what was that idea? Um, I mean, the first thing that came out of those discussions that was, was candor, um, um, creativity, I, I think cannot exist without candor. Uh, you need to reach a level where people are trusting each other enough to be able to, um, to tell each other the truth, because if you don't have that, you can't strive for, for, for perfection or for, for, for excellence is more like it, right? You need to be able to challenge each other, uh, to the limits of your talent. If you're going to be able to get that 2% that, that you can produce that might be considered excellent. So that was certainly the number one, um, you know, uh, taking risks ironically is one of them, you know, like doing things differently, not, not taking the, the, the road that has been traveled and, accepting the fact that if you do that, you're going to make mistakes because if you're not making mistakes, it means that you're not paving new way, you know, mm-hmm. new road, right? You're just uh, executing what you know, um, you know, stuff like that. I love it. Candor to a bunch of uh, people that are artists. So I think that, I think that that really works well. I'm sh- I'm sure. Surprisingly, it does. I have no doubt. Thanks very much, Alexandre. All right, coming up, we'll have Alexandre's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. And on the way, we're going to talk about an interesting uh, trend now, controversial maybe, unlimited vacation time for employees. Mission Mayette, HR specialist, will be along next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's entrepreneur. And coming up, we'll have Alexandre Mangio's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. He's from Reflector, and that is on the way. But first, talking about HR with Michelin Mayette, specialist at FL. Welcome back, Michelin. Thank you, Dan. 
And uh, this issue is interesting, Josh. Uh, this is uh, something that's becoming more popular right now. Uh, companies all around. Uh, unlimited vacation time. What do you think? Good idea? Uh, I, I think, you know, if you want to stand out and if people are doing their job or they, you know, they you give them, resu- you know, they're result oriented, give them tasks to do, then maybe, yes, that could be a good thing. But I wouldn't want to steal Michelin's thunder. So Michelin, <laughs> what, what are the thoughts that, that kind of rattle through your brain as you, as you think or talk about this topic of unlimited vacation? It is something that a lot of people are talking about right now. There's a few companies, mainly out of the U.S., that have been doing it. And now it's gaining a little bit of popularity in Canada. Um, I mean, obviously, the reason employers are doing this are to promote work-life balance, to promote a culture of of trust within the company. Um, you know, I'm, I can't really say if I'm for or against it. I think it really goes to the company culture. For me, it is a bit of a natural extension to companies that are going more and more towards very flexible work hours, um, working from home. Once you've you know put in place this type of policy, you're no longer managing hours because the employee is not physically in front of you working. So there already has to exist a certain level of trust. Um, so I, I could see that you know, what could happen. I see this with our clients. Sometimes they have a very fixed vacation policy and their star employee needs two extra days off of vacation because, you know, their, their friends are all going away and he has to kind of beg for the other two days off. They really want to give it to him, but they want to be fair. So you get into kind of this conundrum a little bit, um, which seems silly when you know the person's dedicated and working really hard. So I can see looking at it from that perspective, it makes sense to say, you know, take the vacation you need to take. So then really, I mean, notwithstanding this potential unlimited vacation, you really need the right managers to to monitor it, to manage the situation. Yeah, for sure. It, it Just like flexible working arrangements or telework, a lot of it's about trust and communication. Um, you have to be managing based on certain expectations and results. If you're still in a mode of managing by hours, the person worked a certain number of hours and was physically in front of me doing it, for sure this is not for you. So I think there already has to be a strong culture in place um, where you're already managing by expectation. This goes through all levels of the organization because sometimes you have things, you know, that could be a bit funny, like maybe you're saying that this is the culture, um, but you have top management that hasn't taken vacation in two years yet. So, you know, you're not really setting the tone for this culture within the organization or you're still managing performance based on number of hours worked and absenteeism. Um, but do you have, you know, there's certainly whether you put it in the policy manual, if you want to stick to the letter of it or you have a bit of a give and take culture mm-hmm. within the firm or within the company yeah. that that also must have an impact but everybody has got to kind of be on board to 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 mesh with that the funny thing is that uh one of the reasons why a lot of companies are going away from it that put it in place is they found that employees weren't taking vacation um, so actually it had the opposite effect and something we were talking about a little bit earlier mm-hmm. that sometimes employees then can feel guilty to take vacation because they don't really have to take it. It's unlimited. But then, you know, if again, if the example is that other people are not taking it, um, it's been shown that employees tend to take about the same, if not less, when there's an unlimited vacation policy. Alexandre, not to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. but what's your thoughts on unlimited vacation no, I mean, I have that exact same uh, same comment. It's that it, it all of a sudden it puts the responsibility of vacation squarely on the employee's head, which means that I think that 
people would start, um, you know, almost every time they, they want to take one, it's almost like they, they, they think that they have this guilt that, oh, am I, am I abusing? Is it going to be perceived by other people that I'm abusing? And so all of a sudden, something that should be completely a no-brainer, you know, you take your vacation and rest becomes something that you have to think about. And it, it, mm -hmm. I think it, it would create a sense of stress for most people. Um, but I, I have nothing against it. Um, uh, I mean, um, in the principle, right? If it's work, if it, if it's, it fits with a certain, uh, company's, um, DNA, right? Um, yeah. You know, if you're, if you're in a very competitive mm -hmm. culture environment, yeah. then I wonder how that might have an effect as people are, you know, as Alexander was saying, trying to really make ground and how is it going to be seen if you take too much or take too little? I think the key is if you have employees that really care about the organization, then you're not going to really have the issues with abuse. Of course, there'll always be a couple, but you don't want to, you know, you know, punish the masses for, you know, the sins of a few. There's also, yeah. there's also, there's, you know, Quebec is very strong in its employee regulations. Mm. How do the, how do the, some of the Quebec labor rules fit into something like this? So that's the thing is, and that's even something that companies are looking at having unlimited vacation, but still having a minimum number of vacation days required. Because in Quebec, for example, it's really up to the employer to make sure that employees are taking the vacation that they have, you know, by law. So two weeks of vacation generally for employees with less than three years of service and three weeks uh, if they have more. So for a company in Quebec that wants to put this into place, um, you know, one of the, the cost savings that a lot of companies talk about is that they don't have to administer vacation anymore. That wouldn't necessarily be the case because you'd still have to have some kind of tracking mechanism to make sure people took at least uh, this minimum amount. All right. Thanks very much, Jamie Schlin. You're welcome. It, it, actually, one, one last question is, mm -hmm. especially when you're, when you're, it just popped in my head, when you're letting somebody go, you have to calculate vacation. You have to calculate yeah. vacation pay. So that, too, has got to come into play when you're... Yeah, but one of the advantages there is that if you have unlimited vacation, then you're not banking. Like if somebody has 20 days or five weeks of vacation, they never take it. You can end up, you know, employers cringe when that employee right. leaves and they have to pay out uh, two mm -hmm. months of, of vacation to somebody. Mm -hmm. Thank, thanks very much, Michelin. Uh, a fascinating topic. Uh, that would, we'll, we'll continue that conversation another day. Okay, thank you. As we approach the last moment of the program, uh, as we do each week, we'll turn to our guest, Alexandre Amancio of Reflector, and ask you, Alexandre, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Um, I mean, I think that um, when you're trying to build something that, um, you know, most entrepreneurs uh, see an opportunity, um, you know, a gap where others haven't seen a gap. And um, that that requires um, um, a lot of imagination and a lot of uh, um, tolerance to risk, right? And, um, you know, when you start building that up, um because it's something that nobody's ever done before, because it's something that is a, you know, like a gap that people haven't necessarily seen by definition, when you start building up your company, it becomes it very easy to sort of slowly start steering, sliding the ship, you know, towards a more uh, safer, or more known path. But I think that, um, one of the, one of the qualities that I've seen in, in every successful entrepreneur that I know, and that I've had the pleasure of discussing with, um, is the fact that they've they've held on to that singular vision of uh, this gap that they saw, right? So for me, this is this is the one thing that um, uh, entrepreneurs have to, yeah, stick with. Thanks very much, Alexandre. Thanks very much, Josh. Alexandre Mancio of Reflector and Michel Mayette, HR specialist at FL. Thanks very much for stopping by, guys. Mm -hmm. Josh Ruff next week, but we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, don't forget, uh, todaysentrepreneur.org for a decade worth of entre entrepreneur profiles. There we go. And we'll see you back here next month, a week from Monday at 7 p.m. here on CJD 800.